All right, so we are all the way in chapter 32 of Isaiah, still going verse by verse a little bit, getting the broad themes. And just to review, in chapter 30, we saw Israel was trusting in Egypt instead of God, and the results were going to be, does anyone know what the results are when you trust in political solutions over and above King Jesus? Major disappointment, that's right. Um, when you turn to politicians and policies instead of turning to Christ, ultimately, who is the king of kings, it's going to result in slavery and shame. And that's what we saw in chapter 30. In chapter 31, verse 1 is where I'm going to read today. 31, verse 1, <coughs> captures the warning. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many. And in horsemen, because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. This is a condemnation of pragmatism, a condemnation of humanism, trusting in man, whether that be individual man or collective man in the state. And, uh, and that is exactly what much of America is doing today. And as we continue our apostasy, continuing to turn to to man for salvation, we're going to continue to fall deeper and deeper into slavery and shame, as chapter 30 said. All right, so that's a review. Let's jump into 32 and see our next prophecy of the kingdom, 32. This is a good one. This one was fun to study. So let's begin. Chapter 32, verse 1. Not a lot of, almost every Wednesday is woe and lamentations and judgment but today we have a lot of good news, a lot of good news, so it's fun. Chapter 32, verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. So in the midst of the apostasy, and in the midst of the societal decay that Isaiah and the people of God are experiencing, Isaiah interjects a, a bold and a positive messianic prophecy right here in verse one and if you have your bibles you should look at them it would help you follow along with me a lot better and isaiah says a king will reign so in the future a king is going to come and he is going to reign over the people of god over this earth in righteousness and injustice two things righteousness and justice and this particular prophecy finds a limited fulfillment in hezekiah but as, as we've said many times the Old Testament speaks in types and shadows of Christ, and so Hezekiah is a type of Christ, right? All the, king, all the righteous kings of Israel are types of Christ, and Hezekiah was one of the most righteous, not perfect, but righteous, and he led one of the greatest revivals in Israel. And um, can anyone remind us what a type is, um, real quick, by, while I cough? <coughs> I'm still getting this cold out of my chest, huh? It's a symbol, it's a sign, that's right. A type is a sign, a symbol. But in particular, a type points forward as a sign. Some signs can point backwards, upwards, downwards, all around. But a type is a future-pointing sign. In particular, it is pointing to Christ and to the messianic hopes of this, of this gospel era. So that's a type. Hezekiah is a type of Christ. And so when you read about Hezekiah, you can read about Christ, um, at least on Hezekiah's good days. And... Uh, and um, this future king is Hezekiah, but ultimately it's Christ. And he will reign in, verse 1, righteousness and in justice. <clears throat> so just a review from Sunday, 
What are our two types of righteousness? This is, you, have to, you have to know this as a Christian. This is absolutely important. Imputed and imparted. All right, good. So who wants to volunteer to explain imputed righteousness? Anyone but Aaron. Aaron answers all the questions. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. Gold star. <laughs> well, in our life, the, when you have faith in Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. Yeah, legally. That's right. Legally. Um, it is as though God in, in the courtroom of heaven um, slams down the gavel and declares you just uh, righteous. And to declare one righteous is to justify them. The word uh, righteous and the word justification is the um, same word in Greek. And we just don't have a verb for We don't have a verb for righteous in English. We don't have righteousify. And so I wish we did. But when, uh, when the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you, um, you're righteousified. Legally, you're justified. And no one can condemn you. The law can no longer condemn you. The payment has been made. Okay, that's the heart of the gospel right there. Imputed is a, a, uh, an accounting term, and it, it can be translated accounted to. So that's why I use the metaphor of a bank account. If you're a negative zero, negative infinite, um, the righteousness of Christ is given to you, and you're at positive infinite. And, uh, and that's what you need to enter into heaven, perfect righteousness. And you are perfectly righteous in Christ. We always say in Christ to, to distinguish between, between meaning you're not in, you're not, you don't have imparted righteousness perfectly just yet. All right? But, but God needs to be on the right side. You and God have to be in a right legal relationship before he can begin to, to adopt you and begin to work in your life. He, the Bible says that man and God are at enmity with one another, right? And you, so you have to be right with God before he can then adopt you and work on, in your life with imparted righteousness. Make sense? So if you run a red light, right, and they catch you on the camera, and you have to go to court, and you have a ticket, and you don't pay that ticket, and you don't show up for court, what is your relationship between, what is the relationship between you and the court? Enmity. You're, a warrant is out for your arrest, and it's just a matter of time before you get your comeuppance. That's right. It's speeding. That's right. Jordan, Jordan knows about that. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is more casual, though. It's okay. Yeah. So, but if, but if, <laughs> but if the fine is paid, if the penalty is paid, then that's that. You're on the right side of the law. So you have to be just you have to be justified and once you are given that imparted that imputed righteousness justified now you are legally on the right side of the law you are okay with the courtroom of heaven you are declared righteous now God then begins to work in your life in what we commonly call sanctification or the imparting of actual righteousness into your life objectively where you become conformed more and more into the image of Christ. So if you're a Christian you have both you first have legal righteousness God has declared you righteous in Christ and he's working in your life to make you more righteous. If you're not becoming more righteous over the course of your life, um, then you're not a Christian. That is uh, just the simple fact of the matter. And, um, and usually people who aren't actually Christians, um, they don't, they, their, their lack of sanctification becomes evident over a period of time. And eventually they are church disciplined or they self 
excommunicate themselves out of the church, and we call that apostasy. And uh, <laughs> so that's the two types of righteousness. This king, of course, has perfect both. He's legally on the right side of the law, and he also is perfect in his obedience, and he's going to reign in that righteousness. He's going to reign perfectly, and uh, perfectly in accordance with the law of God. And he's also going to reign in justice as well. Now, um, Isaiah says that this king is going to reign in righteousness and justice. But when does Isaiah say he's going to reign in righteousness and justice? There's a, there's a win in this text. Look at verse 1. Can you, does anyone see it? Will. It's a future tense. So sometime in the future. So now, now we know it was not before Isaiah. right? And it was not before Isaiah spoke these words. We know that this king that we've already talked about is Christ. I mean, who else is going to rule in perfect righteousness and justice, right? Um, is going to reign at some point. Now, many people believe Jesus doesn't reign until he comes the second time. And many people believe Jesus begins to reign when he comes the first time, right? And some people believe he reigns in some sense now, but not in a fullest sense. He reigns in a spiritual way over the hearts of people, but not with justice and righteousness over the earth. And so these are sort of the questions of the uh, study called eschatology, right? And, we, and we've talked about this all the time, or often at least. But I think I can prove to you tonight, absolutely, with Bible verses, that the reign of Christ began the first time he came, not the second time. The second coming will culminate the reign, but it will not begin the reign. The reign began 2,000 years ago. Right. Let me show you Ephesians chapter one, verse 20, Ephesians 1, 20, and it kind of jumps right into the middle of a sentence. So it's a little awkward to read, but see if when we read this, I want you to notice the time stamps, the time words. Kids, what part of speech modifies a verb and tells us when it happens? Adverb, an adverb. Well, a preposition and a prepositional, no, that's true, that can be true too. A preposition and a prepositional phrase can act as an adverb. That's right. So we're all right, we're all right. All right. <laughs> that he worked in Christ, all right, Ephesians 1.20. When I, when I read a time word, I want you to, uh, to raise your hand, okay, see if you can see it. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Right? So when he raised Jesus from the dead, y'all know when that was? About 2,000, 20 years ago. And when he seated him, which happened 40 days after he was raised from the dead in the ascension. Okay? When that happened, he raised him up into the heavenlies, or he raised him from the dead. Um, and then he seated him on the throne in the heavenlies in the ascension. And that seat on the throne in heaven is above. What is it above and over in sovereignty? It's over all rule right? and all authority and power and dominion. So is, he, is Jesus, when Jesus is seated on the throne of heaven in the ascension, is he over President Biden? Is he over Christ Church? Right? Is he... Is there anything he's not over? Okay. And remember, he said in the Great Commission, all authority and power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he has absolute sovereign power over the realm of, that we call heaven and over the entire realm that we call earth. Right? The whole creation order. 
It's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, <coughs> which is a complicated phrase that is referring to the dawning of the new creation and the new Jerusalem. And uh, we don't have time for that, but basically there's no time in which he will not be over it. And there's no people, place, person, or thing that he is not over it. Okay. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. So that's God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet. When something is under someone's feet, what is that a, a Old Testament metaphor for? Subjugation, dominion, that's right. right. And gave him as head over all things to the church. So not only is he everything under his subjugation and rule, he is given to the church. And we, of course, know from various other passages that we are united to him and we are seated with him in the heavenlies. If you continue to read Ephesians, he says we are raised in him. We are seated with him. So we rule and reign with him in this messianic reign, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So when was Jesus put over all things and given to the church? When did that happen? According to Ephesians 1.20, when he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. It's absolute proof, textual proof that his reign as this king who would reign in righteousness and justice began many years ago. Let's look at um, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. And this verse is going to stumble many of you, but just... Take it easy. I'm not going to answer the. <laughs> I'm not going to answer the hard question here. All right. I'm going to point out what we're talking about right now. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right. So Jesus has been raised by Peter's talking about raised, who has gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God. So Peter's saying, when he wrote 1 Peter, Jesus has been raised. He's gone to the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. Peter's still alive. He's writing. So this is right around, what, when, when did Peter write? In the 50s, maybe? Um, something like that. And he's been seated at the right hand of God with <laughs> angels and authorities and powers, having been subjected to him. So when have angels and authorities and powers been subjected under his reign? When he was raised and seated, right? So we could do this all day long. I'm not going to keep doing this but because uh, some of you already know this. But this king in Isaiah 32.1 began his reign in righteousness and justice many years ago. Many years ago. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. 1 Peter 3. Verse 21. So as a child, and, 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 you know, I owe a lot to my upbringing and to all the pastors that I had. But as a child, the focus was very heavily on the second coming of Jesus. And, and the evangelistic uh, campaigns were aimed at making sure we got everyone ready for the second coming of Jesus. You don't want to be left behind, right? Um, and I had recurring nightmares of being left behind. Um, my mind was fixated on the end of all 
time, the apocalypse. I had an apocalyptic worldview, and the churches that I were in had apocalyptic worldviews, and everyone was getting ready for this. A great apocalypse is about to happen. Jesus is about to come, and he's going to get things right down here. And the problem is Jesus already came and has begun to get things right. And when you have those, when those two worldviews are in someone, they create different um, results. Now, no one lives perfectly consistent with their worldview, um, and, and neither did any of us that used to be apocalyptic. I did clear out all of my uh, savings, though, because that was consistent. Um, and uh, I wish I wouldn't have done that, but because uh, I would have a lot of savings now. But, um, but, but believing and understanding when the reign of Christ happens and understanding eschatology is very important for, for your life. It's very important for the culture that you're trying to build in your church and for the foundation you're trying to lay for the, for the future. And so if, if, you know, if this is something you, you think about or want to know more about, please, I'd love to show you more about it. All right. Now let's move on to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're still just in, in 32.1. He's going to rule in righteousness and he's going to rule in justice, right? All right. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. One more time, because this is just, this is Christmas season, so we need to read this. For to us, a child is born, right? So a child is born, and the child is born to us. It's a gift to us. A child is born. This is a prophecy of the messianic age, of the coming of this king who will rule in justice and righteousness. To us, a son is given. Okay, the child's a boy, and he's given to us. And the government, what's another word for government? If you know this particular word, rule, dominion. Authority, the government, the administration shall be upon his shoulders. Right? So the, the rule, the dominion, the government will be on the shoulders of this, this baby boy, this son child, right? this, this Christmas child. And, uh, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there's a lot to say about all of that, but... Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So when this baby is given the government over all things, there will be an increase of that government. And when will that government end? Never. Does it say anything about time gaps or, or pause buttons? No, there's no pause buttons on the rain. See, a lot of people believe that Jesus Christ came the first time. Things didn't go as planned, and so he pushed pause on his global plans. I, I'm not trying to be funny. This really is what people believe. He pushed pause on that. The Jews rejected him, and so he said, well, you know what? We're going we're gonna to do this some other time, and, and he's going to do it in the second coming. And there's a gap. There's a huge gap. That is not, there's no gaps in the Bible. The baby comes, the baby gets the government, and there will be no end of his government. And as his government uh, increases, and, and increase, I don't, it's not saying that necessarily. It says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. But it's implied that it will increase like a mustard seed, like leaven in the loaf, like the mountain that grows to fill the whole of the earth. Daniel, the parables of Matthew, it will grow, increase and it will go so far out and it will establish peace which is the Hebrew word shalom, which means it will establish perfect order and, uh, and, and tranquility and right relationships. Other passages say that it will be, bring about the, the, um, the uh, peace of the nations. And on the throne of David, right? He's, he's on the throne of David, which 
is in heaven, but we don't have time for all that. And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice. See, Isaiah already told us this. The king is going to come with justice and with righteousness from this time forth. What time? Christmas and forevermore. I don't know if that's going to work, though. You know, there's a, a lot of obstacles in Jesus's way. And when I look, when I turn the television on or the Internet, you know, there's a lot of people shaking their fists at God. You got Greta. What's Greta's last name? Thunberg. I mean, wow. OK, you got a uh, Klaus Schwab, Elon Musk. I mean, you got some ringers out there, some Nephilim like shooting uh, satellites in the sky. And and Jesus is going to be able to do this. Oh, wait, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Oh, he'll do it. He will do it. He will do it. Now, if this is a prophecy, what is our responsibility? To believe it. That's right, to believe it. And I will, I will make this point. If you don't believe it, it's going to have negative impact on your life, right? A lack of faith is going to work its way out in your life negatively. And, and, uh, and so you want to believe this, even if it is hard to believe, even if it's hard to believe. All right, so, but let's go back to, um, to our, our verse 1 one more time. It would be cool if we never, we just stayed in verse 1 the whole time. Can I do that? All right, so, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it says, not only will the king reign in righteousness, but it says the princes will rule in justice. Oh, plural, princes, plural. So we got a king and we got a bunch of princes. Now, this is Old Testament. It's Old Testament imagery, right? Um, but if you have a king who is superior, he's at the top, and then he has underneath him all his princes, what do you call that? <laughs> eh, not a, you call, more technically, without Aaron's joke, all right? More technically, you have an administration. You have a government. You have a, um, a bureaucracy, so to speak, but not with the negative impact of that. An administration. Let's just stick with that word. All right. It's a government. So it's a king with all his princes ruling in righteousness and justice. It's a government. All right. And, uh, and, and this government rules over a kingdom, a kingdom. All right. So you got a king with princes ruling over a kingdom. And what do you call that? What do you call a king with his administration and his government ruling over a kingdom? What is that? Um, it's a, a nation. Yeah, it's a, it's a civilization, right? It's a civilization. The kingdom is a civilization. Uh, that's why we're called a city. That's why we're called a nation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a city on a hill to shine the light of good works so all that might see, right? We, what is a city? What is a nation? What is a civilization? What is a kingdom? It's an organized society. The church is to be an organized society ruled over by um, the king and his princes, and the princes um, I take to be all of us, all of us. We are his royal satraps, his ambassadors, right? We, what does the Bible say? We rule and reign with Christ. When? In the future? Yes, but also now, but also now. In his kingdom. That's right. <clears throat> now, the kingdom as a civilization is just something that's not in the mind of, of most people. Um, I grew up believing that the kingdom was something only in my heart. It was in my heart. And, and I remember the first time I began teaching about kingdom as a pastor. Uh, an older gentleman raised his hand. I was like, yeah. And he said, the kingdom of God is in, in my heart. I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, I got, I got my work cut out for me. Uh, I said, it is in your heart. Thank God. 
Remember what we learned in, in uh, Sunday school. Uh, Jesus is to be on the throne of your heart. But Jesus' dominion, his realm, his sovereignty, his jurisdiction is not just over this space. It's over all angels and powers and dominions and heaven and earth. It's over everything. It's not just in here. See, that, that's another problem. If, if you have the future is awful, apocalypse is imminent. I'm not saying there aren't going to be hard times. I think our country is uh, due for a civil war any minute now, right? But, um, but long term, uh, I think the future is bright because Jesus is unfolding his plan. He's ruling and reigning in righteousness and justice, right? And, and I, th- I think the church is due for a pretty good spanking. But it, he, though he, he spanks us, he's not going to destroy us. We'll learn our lessons. We've seen this time and time again in Scripture. But long term, the future is bright. Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's unfolding his promises gradually, right? And and he's not just ruling and reigning over your heart so that you can pray right and do your devotions properly and sing songs in church. It's so that you can be a father, be a mother, be a business owner, be a plumber, be a president, be a, a senator. It's over everything. The heart, it has to be in the heart. Don't get me wrong. It has to be in the heart. But flowing from the heart uh, comes you as a prince in the kingdom of heaven, ruling and reigning in his name, ruling with your actions and with your wor- words in all of life, in justice and in righteousness, which means according to his law, according to his law. And, um, and just to throw them out there for you, the reason why we are con- confused about this is because of a lot of isms. A lot of isms that have infiltrated the church. Pietism, dispensationalism, statism, Platonism, Anabaptism, antinomianism. We could keep going on and on and on. And if you don't know what any of those mean, don't worry about it, right? <laughs> I, I will do my job and try and protect us all from them, even if you don't know what they mean. All right? So the kingdom is not just a subjective thing you feel on the inside and you give to when you donate to the building fund, Right? You know, that's uh, the kingdom is not the just the church building, right? The kingdom is a jurisdiction of Jesus with his princes over everything. And, and there's various spheres of it. Your family is a part of the kingdom. The church is part of the kingdom, right? <laughs> the civil realm is a part of the kingdom, except they're in rebellion against their boss, which is why we're all in trouble, okay? All right? <clears throat> And the Reformation, you've heard of the Reformation, was trying to recapture this. The Reformation was not just trying to recapture the tulip, although I'm glad for the tulip. That, if you know the tulip, that's the, that's just the, that is the gateway drug, all right? The Reformation was trying to recapture this concept of Christian civilization, uh, Christ's kingdom. And what do you call Christ's kingdom? Christ's dom. Christendom, Christendom, exactly, Christendom. It's the rule of King Jesus by his church over all of life, according to his law, in justice and righteousness. That's what verse 1 is prophesying. It's prophesying Christian civilization, Christendom, Christendom. That's right. All right, that's that's big, all right. You don't have to believe everything I say, but just put it on the shelf, right? That's what we say. What does the Bible say? Be eager to receive the word of God, Uh, but then to test to see if these things are true, all right? And I've been testing these things for a long time, and so, you know, there's no rush. 
but uh, just put them on the shelf and, uh, and see how, how that sits with you over a long period of time. All right, um, <coughs> moving on to verse 2. I didn't do it. No, can't do it. <coughs> oh, by the way, this is why we sing at Christmas time, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Right? Let earth receive her king. That's right. I remember um, growing up as a child, not having this worldview and hearing joy to the world in department stores and whatnot, and really thinking, well, I guess this song must be about the second coming, not about Christmas. I, and I remember telling that to someone. I was like, this is not a Christmas song. This song is about the second coming. Because if you read it, it has to be about the second coming. I mean, anybody want to, if you, uh, we can't do this right now. But just when you have some time, get out joy to the world and read what it promises is going to happen at Christmas. <laughs> right? You know, removal of, the, of uh, thorns and thistles and the curse as far as it might be found. I mean, it's talking about global dominion of Jesus and peace and shalom and goodwill uh, reigning all over the earth. Wow. All right. So verse 2. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind. Well, this is a, a, a difficult translation. If, does someone have the King James translation or a new King James? You sure the King James is the same? Verse 2. And a man, yeah, and a man. Uh, ESV says each will be like. It says each. It's masculine each. but And a man will be like a hiding place from the wind. I believe that's referring to Jesus. Jesus will. When will Jesus be this? In his messianic reign, he will be like a hiding place from the wind. Have you ever experienced that? Has our church ever experienced that? Yeah, has our school ever experienced that? I felt like our school was a hiding place from the wind back in 2020, right? For sure, for sure, right? I feel like the, our, our school, because of King Jesus, is a hiding place for our, our children from the wind, right? You can't let little, little kids be out in the elements, right? Uh, Jesus will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Amen. And I hope you've experienced that in your life. I hope you've experienced a, a bit of refuge and shelter from the crazy storm that is going on out there. I mean, have, you, have y'all turned on the television lately? It's crazy out there. It's crazy. I, I, Nikki Haley, just this, a, this afternoon I heard, she uh, wants to be president. <laughs> and, and they asked her, do you think the government should be involved in, uh, you know, mutilation of children and sex changes? And, uh, and she's like, no, no, that should be a family thing. I'm, like, Hold. <laughs> right? I'm all for limited government. But the one thing they should do is stop kids from getting mutilated. That, that's actually their job, right? <laughs> so, I mean, come on. I, the, the people running for the highest office in the land don't know up from down as it pertains to justice and righteousness. They don't know the law of God at all, right? And I don't even know if she's genuine. I don't know if she's a good person or not. But she does not know God's justice or God's law. Um, we need our kids to be sheltered from that insanity, from all the insanity, right? And, and we need to be sheltered from it as well. And by the way, since we're doing all this work at this school with King Jesus and trying to follow his rules and sheltering our kids from this crapola, uh, could, you, could you please not let it come in your living room through your television? Like, do us all a favor. Like, we're doing a lot of work. And then if you got it on your TV coming right in there all night long or on their iPad all night long, well, you're just, you're just wasting all your tuition money, right? All right, so here's my pitch. Don't waste your tuition money, 
right? All right, I promise you, if King Jesus walked in your home, he would put some filters on that, on that, that phone, right? Come on. Or worse, I don't know what he might do. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he would flip a table at least, right? All right. But I will say this. I've been talking about um, the advance of his government and peace and, wow, and righteousness and justice. But then in verse 2 it says, there's wind and there's storms and there's dry places and there's weary land. Well, how can that be? How can he be reigning in justice and righteousness and his government know no end and the advance of his government and peace? And then it says, oh, but there's still weary lands and storms and dry places. How can both be true? Are there dry places out there? Storms, wind? But I thought Jesus was reigning. Well, which one is it? If Jesus is reigning, then why are things difficult? Anyone? Because he unfolds his kingdom promises gradually throughout history. The point of human history is the gradual unfolding of God's providential plans. It is the gradual advance of the kingdom of heaven down the aisle of human history. As What does John say? He sees the city of God, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven to earth like a bride adorned for her wedding, like a bride coming down the aisle of heaven. It's gradual, like the mustard seed, like the mountain in, in Daniel chapter 6, like, like the leaven which fills up the whole lump. It's gradual, it's gradual, right? So in your mind, I want you to have these very important things. Jesus is reigning. You're reigning with him according to his law and by grace through faith with the help of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and, uh, and as we reign, you can expect... Um, Increase and, and, and help and, and success, right? I mean, not perfectly. Jesus promises us prosperity and persecution and the perfect combination of both because this is a training ground. To some extent, we talked about all these things, right? But, uh, but you don't have to have a negative view of the future. And you don't have to have a negative view about your efforts in this life, right? Y- your small little fish and loaves can be multiplied to, to feed thousands, might take a few generations but you got to trust God he's working a plan right right even our suffering is is used for the advance of his kingdom all right so (laughs) verse three what will happen when the kingdom comes when Jesus is reigning started 2,000 years ago then then is that adverb kids we got we got another time stamp got another adverb then the eyes of those who see will not be closed and the ears of those who hear will give attention. So what are one of the promises of the Messianic age? Discernment, seeing eyes, perception. Yep, attentiveness, right? Understanding would be what the metaphor is referring to. Discernment. You remember yourself before Christ? Dull, hard of, he- hard of hearing, stubborn, dumb. We're still working on it. We're not, I'm not saying when you become a Christian that you are a genius. It's gradual. It's gradual. <laughs> That's true. That's true. He unfolds all of his promises gradual. I mean, what does he say? If you sow a seed, you will reap a harvest. You see, it's gradual. It's all, it's agriculture. It's gradual. Right? It's not, it's always, there's always a gap of time between your faithfulness and the fruit that comes. Um, but, um, but there is discernment and there is understanding. Isaiah 29, verse 10, 
talks about what he did to Israel because of their hardness of heart. Isaiah 29.10. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep. Looks like some people in church. Now, if you have diabetes, you get a pass, right? And has closed your eyes, the prophets. I, I guess some preachers are sleeping in church, too. And covered your heads, the seers. College professors don't know anything either, right? So that's what happened to Israel. He, because of their, because of their apostasy and their turning away from his law, he, he made them blind, deaf, and dumb. And he made all their leaders blind, deaf, and dumb. Sound familiar? Goodness, it's very familiar. And then Isaiah 32, verse 15. I want to skip down, so i got to do this in the right order. Man, got to do this in the right order. So look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. In the top of the chapter, it says, he's going to give eyes, sight, and hearing, attention. But a long time ago, when he was talking about Israel of Isaiah's day, he said he was going to put them in a slumber. But in Isaiah 32, he gives us a time. Man, I, I don't have this in the right order. But you can see it. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. That's when he... Nope. Forget everything I said because I have it in the right order later. All right, moving on. Verse 4. <laughs> Verse 4. The heart of the hasty will understand and know. So what else is he going to get in Jesus' reign? Discernment, understanding attentiveness. He's going to wake you up. You're going to care about his law. You're going to want to obey him. Wow, what a gift. And the heart of the hasty will understand and know. Right? Do we have any hasties here tonight? <laughs> That's their last name. Right? What does hasty mean? This is going to be a little embarrassing, but uh, huh? A little move too fast. Yeah, a little, a little, a little rash, a little impetuous. You know, they, they think something, they put it on Facebook immediately. Right? <laughs> they think something in the middle of the church, they blur it out real quick. You're impetuous, impulsive, right? Hasty, speaking without thinking, doing stupid stuff. Um, <coughs> yeah, which basically describes many of us, especially boys and men. Um, men are hasty. Uh, boys are very hasty. When I was a boy, I used to do things, and then I would be asked, why did you do that? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, it was in there. I did it. It was terrible. I don't even know why I did it. I f wish I could take it back. Right? Have your boys done that? Young boys are very hasty. Very hasty. Well, you d hastiness is not a good, uh, a good quality. But notice what he says. The hasty, impetuous, in their hearts, they're going to understand. They're going to know. Wisdom discernment right the skill to to not only to not only know the law of god but know how to apply it in the proper timing and in the proper way right and then you read the proverbs if you want to get a whole lot of wisdom in how to not be hasty read the proverbs and of course it's going to be in their heart and then out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak so the mouth is going to be changed too and the tongue of the stammerers this is a metaphor there's nothing wrong with stammering if that's if you have that but this is a metaphor the tongue of the stammerers <laughs> that is people who are 
they can't articulate the truth properly. They don't know the law of God. They don't have it in their heart. They're impulsive. They're dumb. They do stupid stuff. And stuff that comes out of their mouth is like a drunk person stammering, right? Well, the stammerers uh, will hasten to speak distinctly. They're going to be rational. They're going to be reasonable. <coughs> That's great. Um, in John chapter 3, verse 3, let me cough real quick. <coughs> John 3, 3. You know this verse. You don't have to look it up. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born, that should be translated born from above. The phrase is literally born from above, which means what? Spirit is poured out on you and he causes you to be born from above. He causes you to <coughs> experience the new birth, right? To participate in the, in the power of the resurrection and the second creation, right? So unless that happens to you, he cannot see, say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, much less get into it or know its ways or live in light of it. Can't even see it. In other words, without the spirit of God, you don't get it. You don't get it. And we know people like that. It's really sad. And, and what you can do, you try to, to speak to them and you pray for them because they need not only your attempts at giving a good defense for the hope that is within you, but also they need, the, ultimately, they need the Spirit of God to help them to see and to hear and have discernment and understanding. Not just about the gospel, but about all of life, about all of life. <laughs> but this is one of the promises of the kingdom. And, and for those of you who love technical terms, this is Jesus' rolling back of the noetic effects of the fall. Right? If you want the technical term, the noetic effects of the fall, or the effects of the fall on the mind and on the reason and as Jesus rolls back the curse in his reign, he, he doesn't necessarily give you a higher IQ, um, but he gives you wisdom and discernment and understanding, right? <coughs> Skill to live. <coughs> what does he say? Um, Thy word is a lamp for my feet. You know how to live and a light for my path. You see where all the obstacles are and the hindrances and the problems. And of course, the word is illuminated into your heart by the spirit of God. You're wise. Verse 5, the fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. Out there in the world, who's honorable? Doofuses, yeah. Scoundrels, wicked and perverse deviants are thought to be honorable. All rise for the deviant. And, and who is thought to be um, <coughs> noble out there? Yeah, fools, fools. Um, but in the kingdom of heaven, it's the reverse. In the kingdom of heaven, under his reign, as his spirit goes out, um, people begin to think straight and their discernment is straight and they can begin to identify who, what is actual noble behavior and what is actual scoundrel deviant behavior, which is why when you, you hear a lost soul who is hardened in their heart and turned away from God and, they've, and they don't know any of the Bible and they didn't get any of it from their parents at all, their assessment of things is always different than yours. Almost the exact opposite. How to do things is totally different. Which is why you gotta be careful. You don't wanna listen to the advice of worldlings that don't have the spirit of God and don't know the Bible. I'm not saying they can't know some things, right? Common grace. But you gotta be careful. Like you don't wanna, uh, you don't wanna sit in the seat of the scornful or stand in the way of the mockers, Right? All right, um, now let's move on to 
verse 15. All right. When will all this happen? All right. It's in verse 15. <coughs> I had to skip some stuff here, but for time's sake. Verse 15. When will this happen? Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. All right. When was the Spirit poured? At Pentecost, that's right. That's right. Who poured out the Spirit? Jesus from his throne in heaven. That's right. right. This is going to all happen when the Spirit is poured out, but it's also happening in this world by the Spirit, by the Spirit of Christ. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I'm going to show you. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Right? Yeah, for sure. Right? And such were some of you. But you were washed. That's a water metaphor. And the water metaphor of washing is always referring to the working of the Spirit in your life, but the Spirit washes you, more specifically poured out on you. You were sanctified, work of the Spirit. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by what means did all of this happen? By the Spirit of God. That's right. Because the Spirit of God has been poured out at Pentecost, the kingdom of God is alive in your heart, changing your life, and and as your life extends outward, the kingdom of God extends out, and its influence in righteousness and justice extends out in the world around you. Amen? Amen. Let's see. <clears throat> All right. That's good. Three minutes for questions. Anything? Oh, Marley. Marley always has great questions. Thank you, Marley. No, it's good. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, like a bitter, nasty, angry person. Like, hey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to revile. It's like to hate. Mean and nasty. He might have a specific use for that. I'd have to look it up, though. Mm, no, they 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 understood that very well. Um, <laughs> they believed that he the Messiah was going to come and establish an earthly administrative government. A lot like people believe, like dispensationalists believe, that Jesus is going to come down and rule over the earth administratively for a thousand years from Jerusalem. That's what the the first century Jews believed. But when he came and he offered the kingdom, not only to the Jews but also to the Gentiles and to the whole world. And, and, and he said to them that he was going to basically taught that his kingdom would not be from the, that Jerusalem, but would be from that Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. They didn't want none of that stuff. That's what they didn't like. That's right. And he was just doing what David did, the type. David went and, and destroyed Jerusalem and all the Jebusites and established it, a new city. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus did. But his new city wasn't another place on earth. 
It was in the new Jerusalem in heaven, which is why he told the woman at the well, a day is coming when no one will worship me in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. That was the Samaritan's holy place. But they will worship in spirit, Holy Spirit, and in truth. So that's a big, big topic, big topic. So, but it's a very important topic. That's a good question. One more minute. Well, we got cheeseburgers tonight if y'all, if y'all want to. And, uh, and let me remind everyone to pay your $5, or some of you might need to pay way more than $5, right? Some of you need to be Venmoing a lot, all right? Because now that we've spent all of our money and built our new building, it's budget neutral. All right, all right, y'all have a good evening. You're welcome.